I'm Taylor Spellia, and this is Girl, It Is Time to Thrive. Today we have Kylie Sage as the first guest on the show, and I'm so incredibly honored to have her. If you don't know who Kylie is, stop what you're doing and go to Instagram and look up Barley and Sage. Fair warning, you may end up hungry because she is an incredible food photographer and blogger. Kylie grew her Instagram from zero to 20,000 in her first year and 40,000 within six months after. She's grown her business to six figures within 18 months and has worked with brands like Walmart, Aldi's, and Lactate. I'm incredibly honored to have as my first guest. So Kylie, welcome to the show. It is so incredible to have you here. You have no idea, Kylie. There is so much I want to cover today. So let us just jump right in. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you started this whole food blog thing? So my professional background is actually in medicine and healthcare. And so very much a 180 to this and it's been kind of a wild ride to get here and when did did you start during like the pandemic so I started a little bit before so long story short um my boyfriend and I moved in together summer of 2019 and we were living outside of DC so I had like a three-hour commute every day he was working from home but working nights and so we didn't really see each other all that much. We were kind of like in the suburbs, didn't have a ton of friends. And I was just kind of bored (laughs) and needed a hobby, basically. So I kind of started the blog as like a hobby. Wasn't really putting too much into it. Uh, My photography was terrible. Um, Absolutely horrible. My blog was also just a hot mess. Um, And so then when the pandemic started, I was all of a sudden working from home, which means I had, you know, three hours more per day all of a sudden because I wasn't commuting anymore. And my schedule just got a lot more flexible. And um, like I said, I was working in healthcare. So I actually was doing medical logistics for the government, which during a pandemic is one of the most miserable jobs (laughs) you can have. It was just not fun at all. It was so horrible. I started to really, before that I had honestly liked my job, but during the pandemic, it just was hell. (laughs) Um, So I started realizing Mm -hmm. that like, it wasn't what I wanted my career to be. And that was also when he started talking about going active duty for the military. So it kind of was just like a weird series of events that kind of got me thinking about maybe I can turn this into something that I could actually make money off of. So I definitely started to actually get serious about it in around March of 2020. Um, And so that's when I started focusing on my photography more and just practicing doing all of the things. Um, So yeah, that's kind of the short version. Yeah, I get that. So I actually started my blog because of you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes, you like... You posted one day about Instagram, how basically, you, I don't know if you use this word, but it's borrowed space. Mm-hmm. And I was bored and I joined photography school. So they encouraged me to start my own Instagram account. And so I like just had this food account and every Thursday I would post a recipe and I followed you really early on. And you would always post about like, it's borrowed space and like this and like about your blog. And it encouraged me and I was like, you know what? 
I need to just start my blog. Like I'm putting my recipes on Instagram when I spend hours developing them and all this hard work. So in June, I started my food blog and I like literally read all of your blogs on blogging. (laughs) I'm like your biggest fan. Oh my gosh, stop. (laughs) So that like when you, I was reading um, some of the stuff you sent me, I was like, oh my gosh, she didn't have photography skills. Like your photography is insanely good. Oh my gosh, like you thank are you. so talented. <laughs> um, so did you join? You did photography school. Yes. So um, I roughly started the blog. I guess it was November. I think I officially launched it December of 2019. And so okay. I purchased photography school for, I think it was like their Black Friday school sale in 2019 but I didn't actually like go through the course you know until I think Mm -hmm. January or February of 2020 you know like I just like bought it and then didn't touch it um so yeah I did that in January February ish of 2020 and that's also kind of what made me realize that like this is something I could maybe like turn into a career if I like actually got good at it Um, and so, yeah, then when the pandemic started, I just started practicing like crazy. And then the summer of 2020, I did advanced photography school, which was also great. Um, and obviously there's a lot of, you know, photography courses out there. That's not the only Mm -hmm. one, but yeah, I mean, they basically taught me everything I know. (laughs) Like I, I did not, I didn't own a cam. Like I purchased my first camera when I took the course, I had like technically, used a DSLR in high school because I was on yearbook staff, but it was like taking bad pictures of, you know, basketball players in auto mode. You know what I mean? Like they weren't like good photos. Like, so I knew how to technically quote unquote use a camera before, but like, yeah, I had no photography background at all. Um, Which yeah, for some reason people are always really shocked by, which I think is kind of funny. I get it. I purchased photography school and an hour later I purchased a DSLR (laughs) camera and I had to Google how to use it for like the first two weeks because I was like, I don't understand. How does this work? And I just started feeling comfortable shooting in manual mode like a month and a half. It took me like two months before I would even like go down that route. It was so hard. Yeah, it's definitely a big learning curve. (laughs) But like I said, I I do feel so lucky that I was working from home and everything during the pandemic because again like I had a paycheck so like I was getting paid to work and then I just in all of my free time I was doing blog stuff and you know I was like Mm -hmm. baking brownies during a meeting when I didn't have my (laughs) camera on and like it just it gave me so much more time that I would not have had Mm -hmm. otherwise to put into the blog um and like you know we don't have kids or anything so like literally all of my free time was just put into the blog um and then once we started going back into the office is when I kind of was like "Ooh, I don't love this maybe I should try to like figure out when I can get to the point that I can quit and when did you feel confident going all into your blog um so part of the issue is that we lived like I said outside of DC which is one of the most expensive markets in the country (laughs) um I think Mm -hmm. New York and San Francisco are like the only ones that are maybe more expensive. Um, So for a long time, I didn't feel comfortable just because even though I was making good money from photography, it just was not going to replace my income in that market. 
So in April of this year, we decided to move to South Carolina so that I could quit and focus on the blog full time. Um, just because, you know, our rent here is a third of what it was in DC. So, you know, our expenses are just so much lower that it's easier to Mm -hmm. actually turn a profit. Um, and again, we knew we'd be moving for him for the military, but we didn't know exactly when because COVID just screwed everything up timeline wise. So I officially quit in April, but I think if we'd been living somewhere cheaper, I probably could have quit maybe like December of last year. Okay. Just, you know, financially it didn't make sense to quit while we were living in DC because it's just so expensive. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's, and like going into the blog, like did you, how did you start monetizing? Because I know you talk about pitching brands a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So were you pitching brands like every day or like how did that work for you? Um, Yes and no. So I actually, I pitched brands a lot in the very beginning when honestly my photography was not very good. (laughs) And so I was getting a lot of no's. And so at a certain point, I just kind of stopped pitching and just started focusing on continuing to improve my photography and improve my content and improve my styling and everything. And I focused on just that for maybe three or four months. And I didn't even think about Mm -hmm. working with brands. And so again, I, you know, had a full-time job. So like I was able to do that. Um, And then at a certain point, all of a sudden brands started coming to me because I guess my photography had reached a certain point and I was getting noticed more. Um, So I definitely still pitch quite a bit. I try to do maybe five to 10 emails a week. It does not always happen. Mm -hmm. But most of my clients at this point, at least the ones that I work with, tend to come to me. Okay. Obviously, like, you know, it's different for everyone. I know some people who, you know, pitch 20 brands a week and pretty much everyone they work with or brands that they've pitched like it's just kind of different for everyone um so I've been very lucky that Mm -hmm. most of my clients do find me what would be your one piece of advice for someone who's very fresh into this and they're about to start pitching brands to understand that like just because a brand says no or doesn't want to work with you or never responds to you it has nothing to do (laughs) with like you and your value and your content. Um, I am someone that does not handle rejection well, so that was a very hard lesson for (laughs) me me to learn. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's just not the right fit. And it doesn't say Mm -hmm. anything about you as a creator. Um, And I think that can be like one of the hardest things to learn, but once you kind of realize that it's not personal, it's all just business, it makes it a little easier to deal with rejection. <laughs> That's good advice because I remember like my first pitching brands. One, it was like finding their contact information took forever, and then you get the nose, and you're like, "Gosh, yeah. darn it! Like, why? Like, I just put like I worked so hard mm-hmm. on that." But that is really good advice because it's true. Yeah, and it's it's honestly a lot like dating, and that like it's a numbers game. <laughs> it is, you know, like yes it's all numbers. Like if you only pitch, you know, one, two, three brands, like there's a very high likelihood that they all say no. And then you're going to be super discouraged and you're going to have no clients. Um, Granted, if you pitch 50 brands, 
that can also be a negative thing because you're probably sending out a more generic pitch at that point. Um, so I think you kind of have to find the balance between pitching enough brands that like you have a significant number, but also like you're still taking the time to make the pitches personal enough that. Oh no, here goes the internet. Okay, guys, we had a little bit of technology issues. My Wi-Fi went down and life happens. I'm an online business. I just want to apologize, but let's get back to this amazing conversation with Kylie. Froze for me, and I realized I was talking, and I don't know how long you were frozen for. So (laughs) what did I last say? And I can just try to, like... I don't even remember. Like, because it, like, (laughs) I think I went into panic mode. (laughs) I was like, no, this is not happening right now. Um, we were talking, oh, a numbers game. Okay. You yeah, were yeah. saying how not, don't pitch 50 and don't pitch just like three. So, all right, we're back okay. to pitching. Yes. Got it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I was saying um, it's all about trying to find that balance between pitching just a couple brands and not pitching too many with like a super general pitch like it's really important to have a pitch that is very tailored to that specific client um and you know pitch a decent number so you know when you're first starting out maybe it's 10 to 15 per week um if that makes sense like you just don't want to spend all of your time pitching especially if you're not getting anything out of it, because then that's time you could be spending on other things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you want to pitch enough that you are giving yourself opportunities to land clients, if that makes sense. So yeah. like, it is kind of hard finding that balance at first. Um, yeah. And I know there are some really great people that talk about pitching. It's honestly not my strong suit. Um, it just, it hasn't ever been, but um, Candice from Eat More Cake by Candice is okay, yeah. amazing. Um I love her so much. She's the best. I've done like a one-on-one call with her to talk about pitching and stuff. And she gave me some really, really great advice. And I know she has a course. I actually bought her course, but I haven't taken it yet. (laughs) I have this problem where I buy courses and then never take them. I have like four courses I've been meaning to go through and just have not done because time. Understandable. That's okay. (laughs) So... You are, though, I will say, such a voice for not working for free. Like, I actually reached out to you (laughs) in the summer because I had this brand who wanted me to do, like, TikToks and Reels, and they were like, you'll be an affiliate. And everyone that I knew and I was talking to about it, they're like, well, you have to start somewhere, Taylor. And I was like, this just doesn't feel right to me. And I actually reached out to you, and you were like, absolutely freaking not like do not do that (laughs) so what is I have to ask what is your biggest horror story with a brand asking you to work for free like something that just makes you laugh when you think back about it um (laughs) I'm trying to decide if I want to name names I guess we'll just go for it so Quaker Oats I'm sure you've heard of them Oh, yes. I massive, hear their reputation is bad. Massive brand. Um, they are owned by Pepsi, which is, you know, a billion-dollar corporation. Quaker themselves is, you know, multi-million. Um, mm-hmm. And they reached out and wanted me to do 10 recipes for, I think, $50 each, which is not working for free, 
but obvious. I mean, it basically is, you know, by the time you, and that's also what I feel like is important to educate people on is even if they're technically paying you, you know, maybe $50, like at a point that is the same as working for free because you're actually losing money a lot of times, you know, after taxes, that's what $30 a recipe. And then you have to buy ingredients. So like, let's say that's another $10. So then all of a sudden you're making $20 for something that's going to take you at least several hours Mm -hmm. to cook, shoot, edit, write the recipe test. Um, So at a certain point, like you're literally losing money. Um, And yeah, so that was probably one of the more insulting ones from such a large company. Yeah. And, you know, they were insisting that it was a good offer or whatever. (laughs) Um, And then the worst part is when you do come back and say, no, I'm not working for that. And they come back and they're like, okay, well, XYZ people are working for that. So Mm -hmm. why won't you? And that right there is kind of like the biggest reason that I think it's so important to tell everyone not to work for free because if there's even a few people working for free or working for these incredibly low rates, then it makes it almost impossible to find at a certain point, it makes it impossible to find people who are willing to pay a livable wage um, for the work they're asking you for. Um, because if they can always go back to, well, this person's going to do it for free. Why should we pay you? Mm -hmm. It makes it impossible for anyone to actually make money. Um, so yeah, in terms of like you have to start somewhere I, I agree to an extent like obviously like your first client is not going to be paying you two thousand dollars for a recipe no. like that's not realistic but they should still be paying you more than fifty dollars um yep. so I do think um it is kind of like a fine line to walk in terms of like trying to get experience but also not letting yourself be exploited for that experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I know that you have um, a blog post, which I'll actually link for everyone in the show notes, but about pricing. So like, how did you come up with that? Like, how did you decide, like, this is my worth now? And then like eight months later, be like, this is my worth now. And yes, it's okay to change it at any point in time. It's kind of funny. Like, at a certain point, I just kind of started throwing numbers out there. <laughs> Fair. Um, but in my blog post, I kind of break down like how you should determine your base rate, which I think is going to be pretty similar for everyone. Again, it very much depends on where you live, you know, how much money you actually need to make. Like if this is your full time job, the base rate you need to make per project is going to be higher than someone who is doing this for a hobby and, you know, isn't trying to use this to pay their bills, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and yeah, if you have a ton of expenses versus maybe you're just starting out and you don't really, you know, have a lot of props and you don't have expensive equipment, you know, maybe your expenses are lower. Um, so I do have kind of like a formula that I use to calculate your base rate. And so basically if you are a beginner I would probably charge just the base rate, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, You're not really charging anything extra. You're just charging the base rate, and that's going to cover any of your expenses and just kind of like the minimum amount of money you need to make for it to be worth it to you. 
But as you continue to get better at photography, get better at styling, um, you know, have a better client experience, you know, all these different things, you can start increasing your rate. And that's where it gets kind of tricky to give any sort of like hard and fast numbers. Mm -hmm. But what I found is if you were getting to the point where every single client is agreeing to your rates right off the bat, it's probably time to raise your rates. Oh, like, yeah, that's good. Negotiation is very much an important and normal part of business. Mm -hmm. So it should honestly be a red flag if every single client is automatically agreeing to your rates and doesn't give you any pushback. Now, it's also a red flag if every single client is giving you a ton of pushback. In that case, maybe your rates are a little bit too high. So again, it's kind of, it's all about finding that like sweet spot of, um, you know, maybe you pitch someone $2,000 and they come back and say, I can't do 2000. Can we do 1750? And it's like, okay, that's a reasonable, you know, amount to maybe deduce. It's a whole nother thing. If you pitch someone 2000 and they come back and say, well, our budget is only 200. <laughs> like you're probably not going to find a middle ground there. And so either your rates are too high, which honestly they aren't because 2000 is not very high. I know people that charge a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it could be a scenario where maybe your rates are too little, little too high, or it's just not a good fit client wise. Um, okay. So that's kind of what started happening to me is when I first started out, I was charging around like 250 for a recipe, which at the time I was like, this is great money. And looking back, <laughs> I'm like that I'm cannot believe I ever charged that little like because again it, at, at a certain point you are kind of losing money again like the amount of money I was spending on like food and props and then after taxes and then the amount of time I was putting in like 250 is almost nothing but at a certain point every single person was saying yes to 250 and then all of a sudden I had too many clients but also like no time to finish all these projects mm -hmm. and 250 isn't a whole lot when your rent is $2,000 a month and you're trying to, you know, you have to take on so many clients yeah. to pay your bills. So then I started raising them slowly and I got up to 500 and then I got up to 1,000 and you do start getting more no's the higher your rates go, but you need less yeses, Okay, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's good. So if you're charging $1,000 a recipe, I need two clients to pay my rent. Versus mm -hmm. $250 a recipe, you need, what, eight? I'm bad at math. <laughs> I think so, Like yeah. eight or something? Yeah. Um, but the thing is, you're putting in the same amount of time-ish. So, you know, if it takes you five hours per project, now you're doing five hours times eight projects versus mm -hmm. five hours times two projects. Yeah. Um, so... Again, $1,000 is a lot in the beginning, but like I, you can build up to it pretty quick. Like I was charging $1,000 when my work honestly was not that good in my opinion. Like it wasn't bad, but you yeah. know, now I'm charging three, four times that. And there's still a lot of people that have much better work than me that charge a lot more money. Um, so yeah, that's really encouraging. That's good information. Pricing, Pricing is hard. Um, it's definitely hard. But again, it's kind of about practicing and putting yourself out there and also realizing how much money a lot of these brands 
have. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of brands who like to essentially almost like cosplay as small businesses for lack of a better term but they're not actually small businesses if you actually like look them up and look up the revenue they had in the last year um there have been lots of brands that have reached out to me that i'm like oh like this seems like a small business and you look it up and it's like they made 500 million dollars last year and it's like (laughs) what um and so it's really important to do your research on any brand to help you determine your pricing because obviously a legitimate small business you can't charge them as much as yeah a multi-million dollar company um you just can't and so if you only want to work with small businesses then that is something you have to keep in mind that like your ability to make a lot of money is going to be a lot less than someone who is working with larger brands okay. there's pros and cons to both speaking of larger brands you've worked with all these in walmart and like, I'm s- like, all these are so cool. Like, I love all these. I like spend every week there, like hours. Like, I, know, I love I to shop there. I can't believe it, honestly, still. What is, you don't have to say if you are working with them, but like, do you have a dream client that you haven't worked with yet? Oh, yeah. Um, there's so many. Um, I would love to work with like um, King Arthur Flower or Bob's Red Mill. Like, those are a couple companies I love. Um there's, I mean, there's a ton. I could yeah. name so many. But I also have a couple dream clients that I have worked with, which has been cool. So, like, Zwillig Knives, mm-hmm. I am obsessed with. They are my favorite knives. I have used them <laughs> for years. And so they reached out to me a couple months ago, and we did, like, a small thing. And that was, like, so cool. That's awesome. Um, and, I mean, I love Aldi, too. Um, I have a couple coming up in December that I'm really excited about it's been really cool to get to work with these brands and it's been cool to know that these brands value creators enough to pay them Mm -hmm. because obviously that is something I care about in terms of, you know, the whole not working for free stuff. So it is kind of disappointing. There have been brands that I love that I have reached out to and, you know, gotten the, we don't have a budget run around and, brands that I love that have reached out to me and then, you know, their budget's only a hundred dollars. And it is disappointing to, you know, find out that brands you loved don't, you know, value those, don't have the same values as you. And so it is really exciting when you have a dream brand that does share your values. And it honestly just makes me love them so much more. So any brands that I work with, Everyone can know right now that they pay people fairly, and so they are great bands to support. (laughs) That is good to know. I'm going to transition real quick because I got a lot of questions. I didn't mention who I was interviewing, but I was, like, kind of (laughs) bragging about you. And you have, like, almost 44,000 followers. And what was your Instagram strategy? Like, did you have a strategy, or did you just, like, show up, and you're like, here I am, Instagram? (laughs) Um, A little of both. So... What's what's tough about Instagram is obviously it's always changing. And the last year, the changes have not stopped. Mm-hmm. And so in the last year, it has kind of made it impossible to have an Instagram strategy because they just won't stop throwing left hooks at us in terms yeah. of like reels, changing stories, changing li- like, you know, they're just it's video focused now, like all this nonsense. Um, 
so I do feel very lucky that a lot of my growth happened at a time when Instagram was a little more stable. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, but what worked really well for me getting to that first like 20k was consistency and quality. So the more I focused on my actual content and making really beautiful photos, the more engagement I saw. And then once I started posting really consistently, so posting every single day at like the same time every day, that helped me a lot. Um, I saw yeah. a huge jump in numbers between posting, you know, four to five times a week to posting every day. And it's hard to post every day. Like, it's really, really hard to post every day. So it's not necessarily feasible for a lot of people starting out. But once you get to the point where you have enough content, I do recommend trying to post consistently for at least a couple months because it does really help. Um, and then hashtags were always something that worked really well for me but now they've come out and changed the hashtag guidance so I, I don't know how useful my tips on hashtags are anymore so yeah Instagram it's one of those tough things where like I think there's certain things that can really help you grow but I also think at the end of the day luck has a lot to do with it which is unfortunate <laughs> like I wish there was a secret formula that I could give everyone um but I think showing up consistently is one of the best things you can do in terms of like posting as much as possible and also showing up on stories. Yeah. Um, I used to be really nervous about showing my face, especially like if I didn't have makeup on and like, I don't know, I've always been kind of like shy and awkward. And so stories were really hard for me to like start doing, but I've definitely noticed so much more engagement and so much more growth from like showing up and being an actual person yeah um because even though there are going to be people that only follow you for photos or recipes and they don't care about you a lot of people do care about you and like being able to connect an actual person to the content I don't know mm -hmm. how to explain it it makes it different I mean you know in like, you know, your own, the people you follow, I'm sure you can think about like, there are certain people that you follow, yes, because maybe they have gorgeous photography, but you also follow the person. And mm -hmm. I found that that really helps um, just with like, engagement and getting those like loyal followers, if that makes sense. So yeah, I don't have 40,000 loyal followers for sure. But I definitely have a significant base of what I would call loyal followers that um, I feel like I've cultivated over the last two years that if I were to just suddenly be like, oh, I'm getting off Instagram and moving to a different platform, I think that base of like loyal people would follow me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, you know, obviously growing a large following helps in a lot of ways, but I think cultivating that loyal following even if it's small is a lot more important so I think it's less about like the overall numbers versus like a small number of people that will follow you anywhere if that makes sense yeah I totally agree I remember when I first started I was like I need to hit a thousand I need to hit a thousand and then once I hit a thousand like I still have a small following there was like this like eh, like I'd rather have like the people who actually like love my content and like but, you know, Instagram is important and it's like nice mm -hmm. to have a big number. So it's like transitioning to that happy 
like that balance I guess of I don't really care what my number is I just want like the good people to show up to you should care a little bit (laughs) yeah no it's definitely a hard balance and obviously like it's easier for me to say as someone that does have a large following like I get that but yeah it's just funny like I have been sitting like I said there was a time where I gained 20,000 followers in three months it was insane and for the past three months I've gained like 10 like it just you know, like, there's no, obviously, like, I'm perfectly content sitting stagnant at the number that I'm at. But it's also just like messes with you mentally sometimes because you're like, yeah, I was growing so much so fast for so long. And now all of a sudden, I cannot grow to save my life. Like, what am I doing wrong? You know, my content hasn't changed. If anything, my content's gotten better. But like, my Instagram isn't moving in the direction that it used to be moving. So I know that's kind of discouraging to hear, but also maybe hopefully a little encouraging that also, you know, bigger accounts are having trouble growing right now too. Like Instagram, again, is having a bit of an identity crisis and I think it really is affecting (laughs) everyone on the app regardless of size. That's the perfect Um, way to explain it. They are having an identity crisis. Like they're all over the place. I'm so over it, honestly. Like if I didn't have 40,000 Instagram followers, <laughs> I would quit Instagram tomorrow. Like, the only reason I am hanging on to Instagram is because I have built such a large community there. Mm-hmm. But, man, it is it is yeah. killing me lately. It's and so, all I mean, speaking of, a lot of people are having a lot of success, you know, growing on TikTok. Yeah. Um, have you been to TikTok yet? I am not good at TikTok. <laughs> me neither. I'm so bad. I feel too old. I don't know. Um I'm not that old, but I, I don't know. I am a young millennial, but I feel like I identify more as an elder millennial, even though I'm not. Um, yeah, and video that. content just isn't my strong suit. I've been trying to get more into video. I've been doing more and more of it, but I just, I don't like it. Like, it's not where, like, my passion is, personally. Mm-hmm. And so I'm continuing to mainly focus on photography. And so Instagram still seems to make more sense for me. But like, if video is something you're interested in, like TikTok is the place to be. And I highly recommend anyone start playing around on it if they're not already, because I think you can get a lot of followers there. And a lot of um, what I've heard from other people is a lot of TikTok followers do translate into Instagram followers, depending on the type yeah. of content you have. So it can be a really good place to kind of kickstart growth mm-hmm. and then get some of that growth over to other platforms. So, yeah, again, TikTok, social media is tough, but <laughs> it is. Would you say the hardest part about having a larger Instagram following is the disgusting hate messages that come with it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I figured you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just it's leave it funny. at that. Like, I know it's. It's a hard thing because on the one hand, like, I try not to let stuff bother me. But on the other hand, like, if you're already having an off day, like, one little message can just ruin your week. Um, And then a lot of times, like, it's these just, like, trolls that don't even follow you. And it's like, why are you even here? And it just makes me question humanity. Um. (laughs) Just in terms of, like, it's always just shocking to me, like, what people are willing to say to someone on the internet that they don't know. And the fact that, like, people do seem to, like, not realize that there's a person 
on the other end of the screen and on the other end of a photo, especially when you aren't showing yourself in your content. Like, again, I show my face on stories a lot, but like my actual content, I am very, Mm -hmm. very rarely in it. You know, it's all food or, you know, maybe a hand or two. But so that can be really tough. Um, And yeah, it definitely didn't start happening until my account got significantly larger. Like when my account was small, I never got mean messages or comments like maybe one every few months kind of a thing Mm -hmm. but like now it's definitely several a week um depending on what's going on and so it can definitely be hard (laughs) so it's not all yeah I uh I've seen you post it and I've seen other people post it and I was like I'm always like I'm not I I hope that never happens to me and I know that if I as like I grow on Instagram it's going to but it's I can't even imagine like I see I've seen people comment on like other people's posts and it's so rude and it's like what is wrong with you like why why are you mean to people like we shouldn't be tearing each other down like you can't just hide behind the internet well I think the hardest thing is I've seen a lot of comments basically you know like the defense from a lot of these people is like well you signed up for this like by having a large following, mm-hmm. by putting your life on the internet, by doing X, Y, Z, like you signed up for this, like you opened yourself up to this. Like if you can't, you know, take the criticism, why are you on here? And I just think that's such a problematic Mindset. thing to say mm-hmm. because again, like, I don't know, I didn't really expect any of this to happen. Like I didn't go into blogging thinking I was going to end up with 40,000 followers and get hate comments. Like, no one does like even these like you know tiktok stars like not food related but i don't know if you actually know any of like the big stars but i know like the demilios or whatever yep um i don't like follow them but i know who they are but like i think that's such like an interesting example of like this was just like a random girl who got really famous on tiktok all of the sudden out of nowhere and then started getting like aggressively bullied online and the defense of a lot of these people was like well, what did you think was going to happen? Like, you asked for it. Like, you wanted to be TikTok famous. And it's like, no, no one, like, actually signs up for this and, like, you know, signs up to be a bullet online. Like, you know, like, so I think yeah. that's a really problematic mindset. And I think that's kind of the hardest thing to fight against and, like, try to educate people about is, like, no, just because you decided to, you know, try to make money off of social media or you decided you want to be a content creator like it doesn't mean that you deserve hate comments or that you're asking for it or that you in any way deserve it so yeah I agree I I couldn't imagine that do you have it like transcribed to your blog too or is it just strictly Instagram um it's mostly Instagram I get some mean stuff on the blog it's definitely less it's a lot more of I'd say it's a lot more ignorant comments of people being like this recipe didn't work because I changed every single ingredient kind of a thing so like you know those aren't like hate comments um those are annoying in their own right but it's definitely not the same as like the actual like just mean things that people will say on social media how do you get – I only have a few questions left, but I wanted to point on this. How do you get the most – how do you get so many, like, people to view your blog? Like, what brings them there? Is it Pinterest, Instagram? 
is it just being consistent with SEO? For a long time, Instagram was actually the most. I was getting a ton. I still get a lot of traffic from Instagram, but it's not the most anymore. Um, So for a very long time, Instagram was my number one traffic driver because I wasn't getting a lot of traffic from these other sources. So I wasn't getting a lot of traffic in general. Um, And so I did a big SEO audit a few months ago and really have overhauled my SEO strategy. Um, And so now my number one traffic driver is organic Google search. Um, I'm still not getting a ton of traffic. I mean, I have a lot of traffic, but it's not like, you know, a ton, a ton. I'm at, I think, 30, 40,000 page views a month kind of a thing. And so the majority of that is Google. I get a decent amount from Pinterest, but Pinterest is also kind of hard strategically. Um, And I've definitely found that Pinterest pins will start bringing me traffic five or six months after I pin them, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So it's very much a long game. So a lot of, you know, pins I pinned in the spring are now bringing me a lot of traffic on Pinterest. But my more recent pins, I'm not getting anything from. So... I would highly recommend focusing on SEO right out of the gate because I didn't. I did not have an SEO strategy going in. I didn't know anything about SEO. Um, And so now I'm just going through updating every single old post on my blog to get it um, as SEO optimized as possible. And that has definitely been the best thing I've ever done. That audit was the best money I've ever spent. Um, And it is reaping the most rewards of anything I've tried. So especially with social media being so insane, I think SEO is the best possible thing that anyone could and should focus on. Besides the SEO audit, do you, what like tool, like plugin do you use? Like do you use like Yoast SEO or do you use yes. like a keyword search? Yeah, so I use Yoast um, and then I use Key Search, which is a good okay. keyword research tool. Um, And so since I did the SEO audit, I haven't taken any SEO courses, but I do know there are several that are really helpful um, that I've heard from other people. I think like hashtag Jeff has one. It's actually like hashtag spelled out, hashtag Jeff. Um, He has a course that I've heard good things about. Um, And then I did my audit with Casey Markey from MediaWise, who is amazing. He is like the god of food blog SEO. Um, but his wait list is like six months long. So if you're thinking about doing it, get on his wait list right now. (laughs) Okay. Um, and maybe in six months you can, uh, get an audit. And so that's basically what I did. I signed up in, I think December of last year and I had my audit with him in May. And since May I have had, my traffic has doubled, if not close to tripled just from implementing a lot of the stuff that he taught me in that audit. So He's expensive, but literally the best money I have ever spent on the blog and definitely worth it. This is so good. Thank you so much. (laughs) I have one final question that has nothing to do with anything. If you could sit down with any celebrity chef and have a meal with them, who would it be and why? That's a hard one. Oh, my gosh. Isn't it? I was thinking about my answer all morning. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Okay, so what you have to know about me is, like I said, I've been cooking like my whole life. And a lot of that is because I grew up 
watching the Food Network like every single day. That was the only TV I ever watched as a kid was the Food Network. So I grew up on like classic like racial race 30 minute meals and like Giada and Mm -hmm. you know Barefoot Contessa and like all of these shows. And so those like very much have like shaped how I cook. Yep. Oh my gosh, I don't know. Um You know you're a true foodie when you can't answer this question. <laughs> There's know, too many not, great yeah, options. It's not because I don't know any, it's because I like honestly like It's overwhelming. You know what? Actually, probably Anthony Bourdain. Okay. I love that answer. Yeah. He's amazing or was amazing. Yeah, I know. Um Yeah. I think we'll have to go with that. He's probably one of the most influential, I would say. But yeah, there's so yeah. many, so many great ones. So I love that answer. Thank you. This has been amazing. Thank you so much, Kylie. Oh, thanks for having me. Wasn't that episode amazing? Kylie's freaking awesome and so knowledgeable. And I hope that you guys take everything she said to heart and really apply it to your business. I already have, and I'm already seeing changes. I'm so much more confident pricing And I'm willing to not work for free anymore, which is honestly the best feeling ever. And I know that you guys are going to have serious changes coming to your business by taking this advice. So if you love this episode as much as I have, please subscribe and leave a review. It means so much to me. I hope that you guys will be here next week listening again. And as always, be kind to someone, eat some good food, and pat yourself on the back because girl, it is your time to thrive and that starts within. 